0: Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grace Bible Church. Thank you so much for joining us. Those of you here in person, those of you joining us online, we are grateful. Uh, that you have taken time out of your week to spend time worshiping God, uh, but then also to look into God's Word. And um, So I want to read to you. Uh, yesterday I had the chance to Google the mission statements of Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Um, Facebook says it exists to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together because our lives are all connected. Instagram says it exists to capture and share the world's moments. Snapchat exists to empower people to express themselves, live in the moment, learn about the world, and have fun together. So it's reported that there are 293 million Snapchat users that use Snapchat every single day to communicate with one another. There are 1.07 billion daily Instagram users across the globe, and there are 2.9 billion daily Facebook users every day worldwide, which means that a third of the planet, or more, is using one of these social media platforms daily. Now, before my Gen Z people and my millennials in here, because I am one of you, Before you write me off and say that I'm a boomer, that's just anti-social media. Now, if those of you, the rest of you in the room, don't take offense to that, talk to a young person. They use the term boomer to describe lots of things. But before you think I'm a social media, anti-social media person and on my high horse, I'll mention that I use two of the three of those regularly. So, and I am not today trying to convince you to, to get rid of them. I'm not today trying to convince you to uh, hate on social media. I think there's a lot of benefits to things like social media, but I do share those things with you to point out that the social media giants in our world, they literally spend countless billions of dollars to get you to be connected, Right, Each one of their mission statements says something to the effect, we exist to connect you, to experience memories, to you fill in the blank. But it is meant to bring you in connection with other people. And I want to take those ideas, those thoughts, those numbers, and contrast them with some other numbers. You see, loneliness is a huge problem. It is said right now that over 50% of people in our country, in America, across the entire age spectrum, say that they are lonely. That is the highest number of Americans in human history that's been recorded. This is the highest number. Now, this number shoots up even higher amidst the young people in our culture. It was recently... Uh, Scientific America recently re- released a study that says 71% of millennials say they are lonely. That number even increases with Gen Z. 79% say they're lonely. As you just watched in this video that we just showed, loneliness is a detrimental health problem. It's as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day for the entirety of of your life. It is more dangerous than obesity, and it leads to mental illnesses that they and of themselves are far more dangerous than those things that I just previously mentioned. Loneliness is bad, but it's something that lots of us are dealing with. But see, God even thinks that it's bad. You see, if you were to to, to trace loneliness, where was, it, where was its beginnings found? Here's the thing. Loneliness was an eyesore in the world before sin even entered into the world. Right? Like, loneliness existed before sin existed. See, when God created and then shaped the world, he, he did so for it to be suitable for human beings, right? So take, for example, in the Genesis account, if you go back to the Genesis account, and God said he separated the land from the water. He looked at that, what he did, separating land from water, and he said, this is good. He wasn't saying it was good for him. Didn't matter, right? If, if land and water mixed for God, it doesn't, it's not a problem. But for humans, big problem. We need land and water to be separate if we want to stay breathing, so he would do that in creation, he would do something, he would look at it and he would say, this is good, right? But then you look at Genesis 2.18, here's what the Lord said. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. See, God looked at his creation before sin entered to the world and he said, loneliness is is not good, right? It wasn't enough for Adam to just have a relationship with God. God wanted him to have a relationship with other people. You see, God does not want us to be lonely. That's why he created relationships. He created relationships. Genesis 2, 21 through 25 gives the account of God creating relationships. It says, The Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall become woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, undoubtedly, this passage is a passage talking about a significant relationship, marriage, that God instituted as, as being something very important to God, right? In the first opening words of his, basically, his communication with humanity, he's pointing out the significance of this relationship. But, I don't think it's a, to, a stretch to say that this passage hints at the incredible intimacy that is available between human beings, not just in marriage relationships, but in relationships in general. And this, this, this phrase here that you find at the, at the end in verse 25 where it says that the man and wife were both naked, but they felt no shame, I think that that is a much deeper statement than just pointing out the fact that they didn't have clothes on. I think what God is getting at is that Adam and Eve, they had a relationship with one another where they could be transparent, where they could be open with one another and share things, share memories, and there was no shame in it. And I think it says something to us that even though that marriage is the first and foremost a sacred relationship designed for sharing loves, that all relationships are meant to be be this exchange of honesty, and love, and closeness, and in those relationships, we are, we are to find something that satisfies our very soul. We're created for relationship. You see, God created us for relationships. He created us for relationships. As Carrie taught us last week, and we looked extensively at this, We as human beings, our identity, we are created in the image of God. We are made to bear his image. We are made to reflect bits and pieces of God's character. And Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is very significant. Part of God's character... Is that he has existed, always existed, right? No beginning, no end. He has existed eternally in a relationship amongst himself. It's it's the doctrine of the Trinity. I have a picture for you that kind of helps explain it. The doctrine of the Trinity, God exists in three people. And hopefully you get a kick out of this. It made me laugh. God has existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from... Forever, There's never been a time where God didn't exist as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 17, 5, Jesus said this. This is a mind-blowing statement. Now, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. In other words, in eternity past, right, again, it's always been this way, God was sharing his glory with Jesus, the Son of God. Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says this, in the beginning, that is the beginning of human time, not the beginning of God's time, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, the darkness covered the deep waters, this is a key phrase, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now I don't want to make this sound like, like, I just want to put it plainly, God has always been hanging out with God, okay? He's always been in a relationship. And so when he created us as human beings, he created us in his image. A huge part of us bearing his image is that we are designed for relationships. Super important to God's character. His eternal relationship, we reflect that. He wants us to be in relationships. But I should say, he doesn't want us to just be in any old relationships. He wants the best relationships for us. Again, if you were to look at the creation count in Genesis chapter 2 verses 19 through 20, we see that God does not want us to settle in who we look to for our relationships, right? So if you look at verses 19 through 20, it says this, so the Lord God formed from the ground All the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. Key phrase. But still, there was no helper just right for him. The animals were not enough he couldn't just form relationships with just anybody. He had to be given this special and incredible relationship that he had with Eve. And this might seem like a bit of a stretch, but I, I can say this. God is not going to flippantly hook you up with just a typical relationship. He, he's a great gift giver. He wants to give you the best relationships. And that's what he did with Eve. He gave Eve to Adam, and they were a great relationship he doesn't want us to settle he wants to put people in our lives as gifts to help us overcome loneliness problem is we often settle for less than suitable in our relationships we just form relationships with anybody and everybody But God has given us the power and the power of choice when it comes to our closest friends. See, it's true that we are always, and and I'll unpack this a little bit as we go, we are always going to be in casual relationships. But here's the thing about casual relationships. Casual relationships are a result of circumstance, not of choice. Right, you're always gonna have coworkers, classmates, teammates, neighbors, in some cases, even family members, they are casual relationships because they are a result of circumstance. But see, when it comes to your best friends, the people that you bring close to you, here's the thing, those types of relationships are a choice. You need to pick them. I think of being married to Ashley, my best friend. I had the choice to enter into a relationship with her. And I'm really, really grateful I did. But I, I, didn't, I wouldn't just flippantly choose anybody because it was a big deal. That's a person that's going to be close to me for my entire life. I had to pray through it. I had to think through it. I had to, to date her and figure out, is this, is this, are we going somewhere with this? And then after discovering, yes, this can work and God can use this, then we got married. But the same is true in your other relationships. Who should we choose to be our best friend? And so the question for us becomes, how do we end up with the best relationships so that we aren't lonely? How do we end up with the best relationships so we aren't lonely? The first thing we have to do is we have to avoid bad friends. We've got to avoid bad friends. Now, I need to say something before I start rattling off characteristics of friends you should avoid. Because it's going to sound, sound kind of judgy, honestly. You, 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 you're going to hear this list and you're going to go, I, I have some of these traits. I need to, to, to clarify, I'm not suggesting that we avoid these people, these types of people entirely. Here's the thing. Jesus loved, ate with, and ministered to what we would call sinners. And here's the thing, Jesus when he when when Jesus was accused of eating with sinners, hanging out with sinners, sharing meals with sinners. He wasn't being accused in some like like overarching theological sense like we all say, well we're all sinners. What he was being accused and spending time with the scum of the planet earth. Like people that we, not just Christians or Jewish religious people, but even like the people who would be considered pagan in many regards would look at those types of people that Jesus was hanging out with and say, those people are messed up. Why are you hanging out with them, Jesus? So when I say that when we choose, we got to avoid bad friends, I am not saying we stop reaching people for Jesus. Don't misunderstand me or misconstrue me here because I'm a strong believer that we ought to be in relationships with all sorts of people who are dealing with all sorts of these issues that I talked about. And I'm not, that's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am saying is that Jesus, even he, though he ministered to these people, he had his closest friends. His closest friends. Three of them were Peter, James, and John. You read some of the stories, the most intimate moments in the gospel accounts, Jesus is hanging out with these three guys. And there might be others around, but he's intentionally, the authors are intentionally saying, Peter, James, and John were there. And why that's significant is these were the people Jesus hoped to influence, and they were also the people who shared in his vision to change the world. They had a lot in common. In fact, Jesus was training them to carry out the mission of the kingdom of God when he left. He was close to these people. And they weren't just any buddies. They may not have been great in society's eyes. They may not have been the top tier in society's eyes. But in Jesus' eyes, he saw something in them and he said, I want to be close to them. I want to influence them. I want to train them and I want to send them out. And I'm going to be close. They're going to become my best friends. So when I say let's avoid bad friends, I'm not saying stop reaching people. I'm just simply saying the people that are your primary relationships, the ones that are going to feed your soul, the ones that are going to be close enough to you that they literally influence the way you live your life, those people you have to kind of be choosy about. Right? You have to kind of be cautious as you choose who you let in and who you allow to, to have sorts of influence in your life. Again, a good example of that is marriage. <laughs> when I chose a marriage partner, I wasn't just gonna say, okay, who's, let me just close my eyes, spin, and I'll point, and I'll, yep, there it is. No, I, I was very intentional about it because I realized that relationship would make a massive difference in how I live my life. And God wants us to do the same thing when we choose friends. And so some of these, I'm going to fly over them. And, I, and what I hope you'll do is I hope you'll go back and read these in scripture, right? So talking about avoiding bad friends. These are some people that the Bible actually warns you, hey, it might not be a great idea to become real close friends with these types of people. And the first is this, those who love to argue. Again, I'm not going to drill down, but if you, if you want to go back and read these scriptures, hopefully, I think they're on your handout. So those who love to gossip, Right again there's a scripture reference there. Those who are suck-ups and like to backstab you, those who have short fuses, short tempers. And again, I feel the need the spirit wants me to clarify this. I feel the need. This is not to say I'm all of us probably in this room would say we do all of these things. I know I'm guilty of all of these things at times in my life. Arguing, gossip, being a suck-up, being a backstabber. I'm sure I've done that to some friends. Having a short fuse. I have small children. Sometimes, okay, the point is, is this is, this, th- these is not saying that anybody that does any of these things, it's these types of people that are always doing these things and they're rubbing off on you in negative ways. You want to avoid them. Then I'm going to drill down a little bit into this next one, those who steal. Part of the reason I'm doing that is because this series is meant to, to help encourage parents, um, and this would be a good, good, if your parents are involved in helping their kids choose their friends, people who steal is probably not a good one to be hanging out with. Proverbs 1, 13 through 15 says this, think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff we take. Come throw in your lot with us. We'll all share the loot. My child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their paths. You know, I've had people say, hey, we should steal this stuff and we can share it. What they don't say is, hey, you also, share, you also will share with me in the jail time. Okay, so, and not to mention, if they're stealing from somebody else, there's a good chance they'll probably steal from you. See, spending time with people who are, are into the, this kind of habit of taking things from others, taking advantage of others, these are not the types of people you want influencing your life. So that's a red flag immediately. Look, I'm not, we're probably not going to be super close. Like, I still love you. I might do some things with you. But I'm not going to, like, let you be that person that's so close to me that you influence me. Another person the scriptures say to avoid in friendships is Christians. That's a key phrase there. Christians who sin sexually. So 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 says this. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are to not associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or abusive drunkard cheats people. Don't even eat with these people. Now, again, thinking back to what I said about Jesus, he hung out with people who sinned sexually. One of the most touching stories in the scripture is one where Jesus was the only one remaining with this lady caught in the act of adultery, and he was there, and he was friendly to her. Now, what he did say to her was, hey, look, like, I love you, I don't condemn you, but hey, let's change our lifestyle. And so... So Jesus hung out with people who sinned sexually. But here's the thing. I believe this with all my heart. If Peter, James, and John, his closest friends, were in a habitual practice of sinning sexually, he would confront them and say, you got to stop this. Or he would disassociate with them. He would say, look, this isn't, we're, we're not on the same page. So I think he wouldn't give up on them. Don't misunderstand me here. What I'm saying is he wouldn't allow them to be that close. Now, as far as we know, and I'm pretty confident in saying this, Peter, James, and John were not in that sort of habitual pattern of sin, um, but this is significant because here's the deal. Young people and parents of young people, loneliness is an epidemic, but so is pornography and sexting, okay? So, I want to share some research with you, and this, I, I'm going somewhere with this because this is important. I think this is a huge, it actually leads to loneliness too, by the way, um, Research done by Covenant Eyes, it's a, an incredible Christian organization that helps people overcome sex and pornography addictions, says this, 57% of teens search for pornography at least monthly. Which shouldn't surprise us because they have an X-rated theater in their pockets. Again, I'm not, I'm not anti-phones. I'm just saying, just know what that thing's capable of. 57 say they uh, look at pornography at least monthly, 9 in 10 teens will be exposed to pornography before the age of 18. Average age of exposure to pornography is 12. So if you're wondering what day, at what age should I start talking to my student, my kid, about this sort of thing, before 12 would be good. Because stats would say they're going to see it before that. 27% of teenagers are receiving sexts. Sex or sexually explicit text messages that often include nude pictures, that would legally be categorized, legally be categorized as child pornography. 27% of teens are getting these on a regular basis. 15% of teenagers are sending these sorts of messages, and many, many more, and it's sad to say, are being pressured to send or are pressuring others to send these type of messages. It's actually a huge thing school systems are having to deal with. Pray for your schools, because these are the kind of uh, administrative decisions that people have to make. And then it is said that 71% of teenagers admit that they hide their internet activity from their parents. So again, this is alarming. And more could be said about the dangers of these types of things. A whole message could probably be given about this sort of thing. But what, what, what I'm trying to do for time's sake is to give you a plea both young people, parents, others in this room, to give you a plea to consider this when choosing friends. Teenagers, if you have friends that you are hanging out with that are into this sort of thing, and they're exposing you to this sort of thing, and you you got to do a couple things. You need to tell them to stop. Hey, this is inappropriate. It's not okay. I know the world says, oh, it's fine. Everybody does it. Don't believe that lie. It's not okay. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your eyes. It's not good for your heart. But then if they persist, it might be time to get some new friends. Parents, the plea for you is to talk to your kids about these things. <laughs> Spend some time sitting down with them. They may, it may take a while for them to open up about it, but talk to them. Have an honest, discreet conversation with them. And, and make sure the people they're hanging out with, dating, being influenced by, are not dragging them into this sort of mess. And monitor, can't say this enough, monitor what's on their screens. Monitor it. Look at it. Find out what they're lo- watching. And talk to them about it. Those of you who have, a, who have relationships, if people are pressuring you to watch pornography, or requesting those types of messages from you, sexting, it's time to end those relationships. It's time to break up. It's, try, it's time to shut that down and then significantly think about changing the behavior. And if you're going to get back together as a person, you need make, make sure they understand that's no, that's not, a, that's not okay. You've got to, got to, got to avoid those types of people because we live in a world that is rampant, rampant with sexual abuse, and I I can tell you what's feeding it, it's this type of thing. It really is. It's this type of thing that leads to the other assault and all these different, it's horrible stuff that comes as a result of this. And as Christians, that's why Jesus said, listen, among you Christians, there shouldn't even be a hint of this because, because you have been redeemed, you've been set free from this sort of thing, and you need to live differently than the rest of the world in this regard. And so, We gotta avoid those types of friendships. And I know that's hard because. And really, we just part of it is church, we gotta have those conversations. You have those conversations with your kids. I'm talking to myself, you gotta have those conversations with the students. Students, you need to have those conversations with your friends to say, listen, this is I know everybody does this, but this is not okay. It's not honoring and it's taking advantage of people, and it's it's gotta stop. So moving along, I've mentioned some friendships to avoid. Now I want to kind of talk just for a few minutes about choosing good friends. And there are a lot of things to consider when choosing good friends, but I can only highlight a few. So I'm going to highlight three. The first is you want to look for people who encourage you. You want to look for people who encourage you. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. If your friendships are not encouraging and life-giving, then you really ought to assess whether or not that relationship's worth it. See, God wants your best friends to be people that build you up so that you can be your best. Now, too many people are in relationships, they're stuck in relationships, they feel obligated in relationships where there's just negativity constantly beating them down. Listen, that, that, doesn't, have to, that doesn't have to be the case. So it might be time to, 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 to flip. So Rick Warren says this, there are two types of people. There are VIPs, They are very inspiring people. And then there's VDPs, very draining people. We need more VIPs in our life than we do VDPs. Another thing you should look for in close friends is those who will support you. Proverbs 17.7 says this, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. There's nothing, in my opinion, more helpful than someone that is there to support you during the difficult times, right? People who are there for you through thick and thin. If you find a type of person like that, hold on to them, keep them close. Because they will be a godsend to you in tough, difficult, hard times. See, nothing was worse than having a friend that you thought was close who then throws you to the wolves at the drop of a hat. You know, Trouble comes and they're out. They oust you. Who knows, they maybe even come at you. And see, here's the thing I've learned, that typically someone that's like that was not really a friend in the first place. True friends stick by you through thick and thin. People who are truly supportive of you will do it with no strings attached. They simply simply love you and they want to help you. A good example of this is the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, it was completely and totally inconvenient for him to help the person that was found half dead on the side of the road. There was literally nothing for the Good Samaritan to gain from helping that individual, but they were there for them anyway. See, I admire those types of people who are always supportive, and that's why today I want to take just a second to highlight people who do this on a regular basis. See, if you go today in the lobby after service is over, there's a table for open hands, or no, open hearts, open hands, and Foster Our Community, Portage Lake. See, here's the thing I've learned is that people, foster parents, adoptive parents, those type of people, they help people with no strings attached. Really, there is no foreseeable benefit for them to do this. It's more work, it's more time, it's more, and I know they get some assistance, but it's not enough. It's more money, but they're there for kids going through the most difficult seasons families going through the most difficult seasons people that are in need of someone to support them they're there for them and so I'd encourage you to go out there talk to one of the the people at the the table today and make a consideration to to help buy one of these supportive bags for these families and I mention them not just to tell you hey this is a great thing to get involved with but really when you are looking for friends you want people like that that'll support you through thick and thin no strings attached Finally, you have to look for people who challenge you. Proverbs 27:17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. See, the whole idea of iron sharpening iron is it takes two pieces of metal, two pieces of metal connecting with each other for those pieces to be sharpened, for them to be better, for them to be fashioned and shaped, right? Two pieces of metal connecting together. So in this scripture, the idea is when a friend is with a friend, good friends, when they are connecting with one another, they are making themselves better, sharper, more refined. Can you say that about your friendships? When you connect with your friends, are you better, sharper, more refined when you spend time with them? Or are you more rugged, dull, and worn out. True friends will challenge you. They will refine you. They'll make you sharper. They'll make you better. And see, we need to find friends who do this for us spiritually speaking, right? And, and I can't, I, I know I'm going to sound, I don't want to sound like a commercial for this, but today on your chair, there is a flyer for small group ministry, and I'm a huge believer and beneficiary from small group ministry. Because here's the thing. In those small groups, I find relationships that sharpen me, spiritually speaking. Where we all, these, these relationships form, where we're, we're committed to the same thing, growing in Christ together, and the conversations, the prayer, the life that is shared together, though it, make t- it takes time for that to really develop, and I get that, But if you're patient and you put in the work like you do with any relationship, those small groups may lead to a friend that will become someone that sharpens you like iron sharpens iron. And listen, if you're like, no, I don't have time for a small group or the ones that you have listed, I, I I can't fit into any of those, then here's my encouragement. Whoever it is that you hang out with, whoever it is that you spend time with, start a small group with them. If you're already getting together, why not add some intentionality to it and we will resource you. We'll even, we'll even say, hey, you're an official small group of Grace Bible Church. We'll let you launch that way, and then we'll come back and help resource you even more and equip you as a leader. But the point is, if you're going to be spending time with people, bring some intentionality into those relationships and allow God to use your relationship to make you sharper, better, more refined. Right? And if you're like, no, I still don't have time for small groups, then find somebody, a Christian friend, somebody who can mentor you or be with you on a regular basis to pray with you, whatever the case may be. You just need to have those types of connections in your life. You won't survive without them. So I've mentioned how to avoid bad friends, and I'm wrapping this up. I've shared how to find good friends. Now I just want to talk to you about how you be the type of friend you have to be and able to find the best friends. Uh, we need to learn to be a good friend. And I say parent here because a lot of the principles of being a good friend also apply to being a good parent. And I get that there's a distinction, right? A, free, a parent is, is a friend, but it's not just a friend. It's a parent. But still, a lot of this applies. So, so hopefully you'll, you'll follow me on that. Again, I'll fly over a few, right? Being a good friend requires you to be cheerful. It requires you to be friendly, but I'm going to unpack these a little bit more. Being a good friend, and, my, and again, I might add a good parent, you have to be comfortable. Be comfortable. And that is be comfortable with yourself. Right, so Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine 39 says this. It's talking about the great commandment. says, the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor, right, next two words, as yourself. I believe this. You cannot love others if you don't love yourself. You cannot be valuable to somebody unless you find yourself valuable. And here's the thing: Pastor Carey gave you all the ammo to find your value last week. You created in the image of God that paper that he sent you home with, and we still have some if you want one. It tells you all that you are in Christ Jesus. Man, that's a lot of value. A lot of value. You can't even put a price tag on that. So much value. It makes the revenue of Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat combined look like pennies. That's how valuable you are. But you've got to believe that. And here's the thing, when you start believing that you're valuable, then you'll be more comfortable and when you're comfortable, you're more transparent. And listen, people see through fakeness. You form a relationship with someone you're fake with them, they're not going to it's not going to be authentic. You're not going to be intimate. Because intimacy is letting, guard, letting down your guard, right? That The Genesis passage, verse 25 of, of chapter one, the, the man and wife were naked and unashamed. There was nothing to hide. When we hide things, we're not really in relationship. We've got to be close. But the only way you can do that is if you're comfortable in your own skin and you're comfortable sharing your struggles, your, your failures, but you're also comfortable sharing your strengths and how God has worked in your life. So you've got to be comfortable. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this. I love, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, we loved you. This is Paul speaking to the church of Thessalonica. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news or the gospel, but we also shared our own lives. They opened up and said, here's my, look, Paul was a tent maker. Here's all the frustrations I had making tents this week. I'm not just telling you Bible verses. I'm telling you about my life. I want you to know me. I want you to know my struggles, my fears, some of my failures. In order for that to happen, you have to be comfortable. And that's when you find a true connection. You also have to, to be a good parent and friend, you have to be conversational. Philippians 2.4 says this, do not look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I love this. Rick Warren says this, and I stole it for today. He says, stop trying to be interesting. Instead, be interested. Like the way to be a good friend is not to to present yourself as this super interesting person, but instead to just be interested in the person talking. It's all about listening. Being a good friend means you listen. This is important because, and just one example of this is parents, this is crucial, and I'm guilty of doing this, even with my small kids, Kids have an optimal window for opening up and talking to you. Right? And I can almost guarantee that the optimal window for them opening up and talking to you is not the optimal window for you to listen. It it just doesn't work that way. And what we often do and can do as parents is because we're busy, because we've got a lot of things going on in our lives. We can put a pin in a conversation with our kids and say, listen, we'll talk about this later. And guess what? You just close the door. There is no talking about it later. It's done. Opportunity's gone. You won't hear what they had to say because they were ready to talk, but you shut it down. I do this. I'm talking right now. But we need to be able to say, okay, Am I saying I'm too busy because of my personal agenda? Because if I follow this scripture, Philippians 2.4, I should put aside my interests and take up the interest of this kid that I love and I care about. So sometimes we gotta shut ourselves down so we can receive from somebody else what they have to say. And this works for friendships too, okay? So it's not, it's not just being a parent, it's being a friend. Last, and this is very similar to being conversational, or almost last, is to be available. Be available. James 1:19 says, "Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry." Romans 2:15 says, "Be happy with those who are happy, and weep." Again, both these verses encourage us to be available. And and I love James that verse in James. I am a fixer by heart, by nature. When you talk to me immediately, I'm already calculating, how can we fix this? Okay, and that's bad. Actually, it's bad listening because what I'm doing is I'm listening to the problem and looking for solutions when there's a person talking to me. And I need to listen to the person. Sometimes they're not sharing it with me so that I can help them fix it. They're just sharing with me to share it. That's what it means to be available, to listen, right? To care, to get deeply acquainted with their emotions and what they're going through, so much so that you're able to weep with them when they're crying and rejoice with them when they're rejoicing. That's what it means to be available. And nobody was better than that at Jesus, than Jesus, right? And that's the final thing to say. If you want to be a good friend, be Christ-like. I could have saved us a lot of time in just saying this in the first place, Right? I could have just said, all right, let's, how do you be a good friend? Just be like Christ, and then use all the examples of how Christ was a good friend. But it's true, ultimately, if we want to be the best of friends and we want to find the best of friends, we need to be like the best friend that we could ever have, that is Jesus Christ. And it's a significant thing that we close with this idea because you got to hear me on this. See, I believe it is wrong to say, I think it's wrong to say this, that all you need to not be lonely is God. I know that sounds almost heretical. If you want to, you know, throw stones at me later, I'll be in the somewhere. But what I'm saying is, even God said this, right? Adam was in the garden. He had a relationship with Adam, and he said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So God would even admit, listen, it's not, uh, even though I am sufficient, I am enough, I in my sufficiency and my enoughness also was the gift that I gave of relationships and so for that reason me alone only me alone is not necessarily enough. Yet I would also say it's very wrong to say that all you need is relationships. And this is important, right? If we're gonna talk about how do you cure loneliness, it would be so wrong of me to say God gave you relationships and relationships is the key to your cure for loneliness because here's the thing, it doesn't matter how many relationships you have and even if you had the best relationships in the world, it would not get you to the level of intimacy that you need to feel satisfied. The only person that can get close enough to you that completely totally can fulfill your need for intimacy is God. And it would be wrong for me to put the burden of expectation on a human relationship to help you be healed of your loneliness, because it won't work. You need relationships, but you need God. And in that way, God is ultimately the cure for your loneliness, if you're struggling with it. In two forms. He fills that need, and he's also the same God that gives the gift of relationships to fill that need. So again, it all points back to God. Having said that, let's pray. Jesus, I know there are so many people who feel alone. Now my heart wanders even right now to the country of Afghanistan where people are fleeing in peril. They're scared of what's taking place in their country. And they might feel alone. But I pray that you would show them you're there, you see them, you care about them. And I pray that they would look at their life and see the many different gifts of relationships that you've given them, even to get them through the most difficult and strenuous times that they're going through right now. But Lord, even here, it'd be naive to assume that everybody in this room feels satisfied in their relationships. Perhaps there's somebody in here today, Lord, that came in and they feel alone. I pray they would know that they're not alone, that you are in their life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that they also would look at their life and locate the gift of relationships that you've put into their lives. I pray that, Lord. They would know they're not alone, that they experience your presence. I we'll also pray for that individual that maybe through this whole message, all they could think about is those friends they have that they shouldn't have. Pray you give them the strength and the courage to either open up and be real with who they are, to show that friend, that person, or those sets of friends, hey, I'm not cool with this behavior, or Lord, the courage to say, hey, I love you guys or you girls but we gotta we gotta stop being close we're just not we're just not on the same path pray you give the courage to whoever it is that needs that be with us as we leave this place Lord but not from your presence help us to leave knowing that you see us you're with us and that you put good people in our lives to help us battle this epidemic of loneliness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And hey, listen again, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us again next week. And if you feel the need to connect with us at the church here, um, we'd love for you to text the word connect to the number 330-428-69. Um, that way you can get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you. If you're battling loneliness yourself and you need someone to talk to, or you don't want to hear about how you can have a relationship with Jesus that ultimately cures the deepest level of loneliness that you have, please, please reach out to us. Hope you'll join us again next week. God bless you.